Welcome to The Career Studio, a USU career services podcast that helps you navigate your career path. Thanks for joining us for our Friday face-to-face episode. I'm Marissa Armistead, your host, and I'm thrilled to have Reva Rogers here with me today. We go several years back, so it's so fun to have you here on the show with me today, Reva. It's good to be here, Marissa. Awesome. Well, Reva earned her Bachelor of Arts degree in music performance at Southern Virginia University. She worked for Guitar Center, teaching voice and piano. She's also taught private lessons for seven years and was an assistant postgraduate in group voice classes at Southern Virginia University. She also ran the after-school choir program for Enderly Heights Elementary, and she currently works for American Leadership Academy in Arizona as a music and choir teacher. So many fun things, Reva, all about music, and I love it. Oh, yeah. So, Reva, <laughs> now you mentioned earlier that you absolutely hate band-aids, and I have to know more about this. Is it a fear? Is it a strong distaste? Tell me more. Oh, it's like, okay, I would say it's the next step below phobia, okay? So, like... <laughs> I don't put band-aids on my children because I think they're absolutely disgusting. I will let I will let my husband put one on and at school I'm like the work like anytime a kid needs a band-aid, I'm like, you can go to the nurse. I can't do it. And I I've tried to figure out where it traces back from. And I think the most simple reason that I hate band-aids is that my oldest sister did a science fair project when I was in elementary school about which band-aid lasted the longest. And so my mom, because you had to have so many variables, right? And I have Right, of course. I have six other siblings. And so my mom had us all wear different brands of Band-Aids down our arms as long as they could possibly stay. And like (laughs) we would shower with them and we would swim with them on and you couldn't like replace it because you needed to see how long it was going to last. And it got to be like two weeks with the same Band-Aid on and then they're just gross. And then that coupled with growing up in Florida and oh my gosh. being at like the water parks and seeing that blown <laughs> Band-Aid. And there's just something that I'm just, scarred. I, can't, I can't do it. And I thought for a while, I'm like, maybe I'll get over it. But then my coworkers, when I was working as a receptionist, they decided to put Band-Aids all on the inside of my car. And I legitimately almost no. got into a car accident because I was so terrified of them. I was like, I can't. They put it right on my gear shift and I like wouldn't put my hand down. So oh my I, I think goodness. we're like, I mean, obviously not clinically diagnosed a phobia, <laughs> but the hate is strong. Getting close. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, that's hilarious. And okay, so I'm, I'm going to try to craft this back and tie it back to our monthly theme of broadening our career horizons. So I'm thinking about this situation with nasty band-aids. And you know, I think what I can pull from this is you tried a product, you didn't like it, and you have learned from that and you make life choices based on that experience. And yep. so you know and what? New skin is the best because then you don't have to wear a band-aid, but your wounds aren't just opening everywhere. <laughs> so we found a solution. I broadened my horizons to find new ideas to bandage myself. (laughs) Perfect. The creativity aspect. Oh, I love it. Love it. (laughs) All right. Well, I will, I will get away from the band-aid conversation and we can talk a little bit more about you. So Reva, I know that you have a long and impressive history and background in music. So I'm kind of curious just to learn more about that. You know, where, or I guess, when did you first get into music? So I started playing piano when I was about three years old. My older brother played and I was obsessed. And so I would sit at the piano and I would be able to mimic anything that he was playing. And he was pretty advanced at the time. So my mom was like, the fact that this three-year-old can play the melody line is what my, <laughs> you know, I think he would have been eight. Wow. Yeah, he would have been eight. So he was like, well, if she can play the same things, we should probably get her in some music lessons. And I loved it. And I took it for a while. I would say probably until I was about seven or eight, I continued through piano, but I got a new teacher and my new teacher realized a very key problem in my piano methods that I couldn't read music. 
And so she made me start back at the beginning and I decided that I was too good to start back at Row Row Boat when I could play Chopin. So way past. Yeah. I was, and so I refused to practice and she was like, well, until you take it seriously, I'm not going to teach you anymore. So I actually stopped playing piano altogether. I stopped music. I decided I was going to be a world famous cheerleader. It was going to work. It was going to be great. And then Perfect. I got injured. <laughs> oh. So my mom, I'd always been in like the choir classes in school, but it was just something that I thought was fun. It wasn't something that I considered a career. And then my middle school choir teacher, when after I'd been hurt, she was like, well, you know, you can still compete with music. If that's really all that you're trying to do is get that competitive edge going and be able to challenge yourself. And that's still something you can do. And so she introduced me to the all state program where you compete against peers across the state in musical theory and oral skills. And then you sing together at the end of the year if you make it through the rounds. And so I started doing that in seventh grade and I did it all the way through high school and I went every year and it was it was pretty fun. So that's what started me going. My middle school teacher made me realize that I want to be that teacher for other people. And so that's why I went into music as an educator and went through the pedagogy courses and things like that to be able to be a choral conductor and learn all of the aspects of music because I didn't want to have to choose where I wanted to go. I wanted to be wherever I'd be able to help the kids the most to learn and love and appreciate and figure out where they fit in the musical world. Very cool. And props, I would say, to all of your teachers, even the one who maybe deterred you a little bit at the beginning there. (laughs) She was good because I'm totally that teacher now. (laughs) I'm like, you may not want to practice, but... (laughs) She set the standard. My students know I'm I'm very candid with my kids because... I mean, while I do play piano because I have an understanding of how to read music now, but that true understanding of reading music did not come until I was in college. Like I could read because I could do the competitions, but to be able to read it and put my fingers to do the same thing, that didn't happen until I was literally forced to in order to get a degree. So I can play piano. I do not play it willingly. Like if I was asked, (laughs) hey, hey, will you play? No, I won't. The answer is no. (laughs) Or if they ask me, Reva, do you play the piano? I say enough to have a bachelor's in music, but not enough to play for you. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. Well, Reva, so I'm thinking about this music experience that you have, and I'm kind of curious, I'm sure you learned lots of lessons, but what what's one life lesson that you kind of pulled from that background in music? Was there any particular lesson that stood out to you through that process? I think it is that original teacher that she wasn't okay. Well, I guess technically my second teacher, my original teacher was fabulous, but <laughs> the second teacher wouldn't let me settle for mediocrity. She knew that I had the ability and the talent to do more, and she didn't want me to achieve it through the back channels. She knew that I was capable of learning the correct way and understanding the theory and all of those things behind it. But because I wasn't willing to, she wasn't willing to waste her time. And I've thought about that for years, I've told my students that if you're not going to practice, why are you here? And I was really young and she didn't go to my mom and say, hey, your daughter's not really practicing. So I'm going to take her out or she doesn't want to do anything. So I'm going to kick her out. She talked to me and we made the decision together and was like, look, I'm not I don't want to go back to the basics because then I can't play the things that I already know how to play. So I think she was probably my biggest life changer because it made me realize that if I want to do something, I have to work at it. And from then on, I haven't won. I haven't quit anything. And I work hard at the things that I want because I I realize that I'm wasting other people's time if I choose not to do that. 
and I'm wasting my own time. We don't have time to be messing around. Absolutely. I love that. Well, and as we're kind of taking this walk down your childhood memory lane, we can kind of move towards some of the education that you received. And I'm kind of curious, when when we were both at SVU, you were always involved, I swear, in everything. You know, I remember you were involved in choir, student housing. I think you were in, in student government. Like I just, every time I, I felt like Reva was always, always involved. And so I'm kind of curious, especially as we're talking about developing our careers and broadening our horizons, what were some of the benefits of just getting involved in lots of different things? Well, it made me realize that I wasn't just good at music, that I wasn't just choosing music as a career because it was the only thing that I was good at. I was choosing music because it was something that I loved doing, but doing the other things made me so much better, even within my musical career. So when I was doing housing, we started off my sophomore year, I was running the boys dorm and it was a bizarre experience, but it was awesome (laughs) because it taught me to hold myself to a high standard and to not allow other people to make judgments about me. And so I was 19 years old. I probably was a little bit young to be running the storm, but I did. And I had 75 guys who I was under, you know, they were under my responsibility. I had a a team of RAs and it was something that I hadn't figured out how to do yet. And so being able to try something new and to work on my organizational skills, because as you know, in housing, if you are not organized, you are dead in the water. Like there's nothing. 100%. Yes. You have no choice, (laughs) but it also helped me understand where other people are coming from in their circumstances, you get to meet so many people in the housing part of a college. And so being able to go on those days where we're onboarding all the new students and see their parents and see the kids who are so nervous to be there on their first day and being able to be that first face that they recognize and that they can see throughout campus. And thankfully, our campus was small. So when I saw them on that first day, they would also see me at lunch two days later. It wasn't, will I ever see her again? It's no, I'll probably see her every day. And she's a little little bit hard to miss. So I liked being in that aspect where I could influence others, get to know others and be able to work on myself and have people hold me accountable. And I think housing did that really well. I love that. And to give a little bit of background, I have to I have to mention that while we were both at SVU, I was an RA under Reva. And it's so funny to hear that side of it because at the time she was queen. I mean, she knew everything. She knew everyone. <laughs> there was no flaws. And so it's so funny to hear, you know, that growing process on, on the flip side. But I love that. I think that's some really good insight. It, I mean, it's nice to see what it came <laughs> off as because I remember my first meeting, me and my husband were terrified. We were like, how are we supposed to do this? This is a big thing. And in fact, one of the things that our mentor did, and you remember Dean Bouchel, and yep. he took all of us to the, they call it the CUHO, which is essentially all of the housing directors, dean of students, directors of housing for all of the Virginia colleges and surrounding areas would go to a conference every year. And the positions that we held were are usually held by people with masters or higher. And so when we're at this convention, I'm sitting here 19 years old, barely finished my first year of school. And I'm in this director. And I remember distinctly sitting next to one of the dean of students of one of the biggest schools in Virginia, just in a seminar class. And I was like, I'm 19. And we're, okay, okay, we're doing this. We're doing this. And I think it was just understanding that I was given this role in this position for a reason. And I think a lot of times we can find ourselves doubting and feeling like we're not adequate enough because it's so outside of what everyone has always said. For me, it wasn't out of the norm to be the choir president. That's something that, I mean, I was the singer. Everyone knows Reva sings, Reva does music. And so for me to be choir president, that was just kind of like the next step in the rotation, right? But if someone had asked me in high school, what do you want to do? 
the answer would not have been, I want to be the area director of housing for Southern Virginia <laughs> University. That just wasn't something that I would have thought about, but I love it. And I've considered even figuring out how that works into my next career. Do I want to be a dean of students for a music school? How would that look? And I feel like all of those experiences in housing and being able to see the student affairs aspect of a university at such a young age has given me a huge advantage and just allowed me to see everyone's perspective in this giant bubble that we call education. I love it. And and I totally agree. I, I still look back on some of those experiences that I had in college. And it really is cool to see where those experiences take you and how they influence your path. So I love, love that. Let's go ahead and move forward. I'm really curious about the work that you currently do. You're a music and choir instructor, which I feel like is just a dream job for probably so many people. But tell me one thing that you love, love, love about your job. Oh, I love when kids figure out that they can do music because I think there's this little stigma that unless someone has told you that you're a good singer, you don't think you're a good singer, right? No one wakes up in the, well, maybe some people wake up in the morning and are like, (laughs) I'm fabulous. But for the most part, nobody thinks that they're an amazing singer unless somebody has told them that. And I get all of these students every year who are like, Mrs. Rogers, I'm tone deaf. I can't sing. And something that I was taught in school by my professors is that there's like 5% of the population that's actually clinically tone deaf, right? So if you like true tone deafness means that you play two keys on the piano and you can't tell if they're high or low, they all sound the same. And that would be a really hard life to live in. All music, if you're truly tone deaf, would sound like the same note. Okay, so obviously that's not a super common dilemma for people. And so it's been really fun to let my students know, even from the age of six, to say, hey, you can sing or you can enjoy music and you can love it and you can love performing. And it's been really fun to see the kids who thought that they were only going to just do sports, that they can do both and that they can love both. And that music doesn't have to be a career. It can just be something that makes you happy. And you don't have to be a performer to be in and love music. So my goal every year is to help each student figure out where they fit in music. Are they someone who just watches? That's fine too. But if you're going to be the person who watches, I want you to know what you're watching for so that you can appreciate what the performers are doing. If you're just watching to watch, that's fine. But I think things mean more when you understand the difficulty and work that goes behind it. So if you don't want to perform, that's great. If you don't want to teach, that's okay too. I'm still going to need a job after they graduate. So I'm not out there trying to push everyone to take my job away. But what I do want is I want the kids to learn and love music for what it is. And so because I started at that elementary level, I really get the opportunity to just remove all the preconceived notions and I get a blank slate. And I love that. That's so fun. And and I have a small confession to make. So I recently <laughs> started taking voice lessons. Now I have to I have to explain that I am not a singer. I, I was not gifted with an, an amazing, natural, beautiful voice. But you know, my my instructor has been really great at teaching me the importance of consistency and also just the importance of gaining confidence in yourself. And I think that can apply to really any new skill, anything new that you're trying. And it's hard. It's it's so awkward. You know, there's times when she'll ask me to make funny noises with my lips and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so embarrassing. And I felt that way in job interviews. I felt that way trying a new club, tons of different places that could apply to. But I think that's such a great skill. And I love that you're creating an environment where students feel safe and and willing to try something new. So I think that's great. Well, and you emphasize one of the things that's the hardest when you're learning to sing and figuring all that stuff out is in order to sing well, you look weird. You do. (laughs) 
and it's a true. lot of our teachers use mirrors and so you have to look at yourself looking weird and it's bizarre and it's uncomfortable but part of that once you can get past how weird it feels and you realize that you're doing it for yourself and not for anybody else then you can begin to have that progression that you, that people want so badly Absolutely. And I think that's been the funnest part is just making the small progress. You know, every once in a while I'll hear a little vibrato and it's like, oh my gosh, like I'm making progress. And it's not, <laughs> you know, any big deal to any great singer. But I think for the individual to feel that success when they put in the effort, I know as a student, that's rewarding. So I can only assume and imagine that for a teacher, that's got to be a great feeling. <laughs> I think every teacher is like, I love those light bulb moments. Like that's the most <laughs> cliche thing to say, but it's really true. We love the moments where we can see that our students have figured it out. And I'll be honest, it was a really hard transition for me to go from teaching and assisting the group voice classes because it's an undergraduate voice class to then teaching kindergarten, right? So I'm teaching all of these nuanced skills of singing. And then I'm trying to tell these five-year-olds how to keep a steady beat. And that blew my mind. <laughs> and I remember being like, oh my gosh, these kids don't remember or don't know these things. And now it's up to me to teach them. And I couldn't even remember a time where I didn't know how to do that. And so that had to change my entire teaching method that first year when I realized that I was giving them an expectation of what I thought, not necessarily what I thought my college kids could do, but I didn't quite grip exactly what a five-year-old can understand about music. And so I had to learn how to break that down for them. And so being able to see them go from that and see myself go from that has probably been the most rewarding experience. That's awesome. And I love it. Ugh. Such such great insights. Well, Riva, as we've chatted previously, you know, we were chatting just earlier about your amazing little kids. They're so, so cute. I can't even handle it. But, you know, I was thinking about how so many of our students at USU, they are balancing full-time school, full-time work, and full-time family. A lot of them have kids. And I know you've been juggling these different areas as a working woman and also as a mother. So I'm really curious to hear more about your experiences. So maybe to start off, I'd love to hear a little bit about some of the challenges that you faced as a mother and also teacher. Yeah. So the hardest thing is, and I think every working mom can probably agree to, is the mom guilt. Okay. We all have it. And it's this feeling that you're not doing enough in either aspect, right? As a teacher, thank heavens, I get the summers where I can feel like I'm doing everything right. But as a parent, you should never <laughs> feel that way anyway. Uh, it started off with, we had our son after I had graduated, but I was still in student housing, right? So that was when I was the area director. Mm -hmm. And if you remember, we would bring our son to the meetings because that was yep. the only place that we, we had no other option. So, and I know that's not always available for other people, but our options were pretty limited. And so we were lucky to have that kind of flexibility to be able to bring our kids to those meetings and we would have to work around. We actually had to work his schedule around our meetings, right? So he was right. up later than I would have ideally liked a, a young kid to be up, but it was, is what we had to do. So we've had to make some sacrifices that way. Once I went to work full-time as a teacher, it became, okay, when I get home, I need to make sure that I'm 100% there for family. And so I made the commitment that I wouldn't take any of my work home. So if I have something that needs to be graded, which I'm in choir, so I usually don't, but if I have <laughs> something like that, it gets done at school or I pick up the kids and we go back to school on a Saturday or something like that. But we spend a lot of time with our kids in the classroom. My son has walked the halls of ALA forever. He's <laughs> looking at me through the window right now. <laughs> And so we just wanted it to be a place where they knew that this is where mom and dad work. And we wanted that to be normal for them. And it was something that 
our son could see and our daughter can see that hard work can earn you things and can help develop necessary skills and things like that. And that it wasn't that it was still normal to, to work and have a job and, and those kind of things. And so he gets excited to come to our classroom. Olivia's one, so I'm going to pretend that she's excited every time she comes <laughs> to the classroom. But it's something that we didn't want it to just be, well, mom and dad are going to work. And it was something that they never saw. So they know what our classrooms look like. They have little corners in our classroom. And I keep toys for my kids in the bottom of my desk. Just being able to be flexible. And when my school throws little events, instead of just going by myself, I take my kids to all of the events. And so even if it means I'm juggling a baby when I would rather, or I don't know if I would rather be talking to my students and mingling with my family. I like having my kids there where my kids can see, my students can see my children and my family and just making it more of a, of a bubble that they can be comfortable in. That's been the biggest thing for us is just blending the two together so that we both understand the importance of each world. I love that approach. And I, I love this idea of integration, but also kind of having those boundaries too of saying, you know, when you're home, you're home. So I think that's a really great approach. I really, really love that. You know, and it was difficult when home became work this past. Yes. That was the hardest because we had been so good at keeping it so separate. And then we suddenly became working parents from our house. And if you've ever tried to teach choir from your computer, it's not very easy. <laughs> you know, I was curious how that worked. <laughs> Honestly, it was it was pretty fun. I would record videos for the students and then they would send me their video back and we'd give okay. feedback and things like that. But what we then ran into was I would be recording the video and then my son would pop in and be like, Mom, can I have macaroni? And I'm like, and take 275. <laughs> So it, it ended up working, but it was fun to see how we had to shift again and just be flexible. And I think that that flexibility was something truly that I learned through housing. As you understand, being in the RA world, <laughs> you don't know what's going to happen. So you need to be ready at two o'clock to answer the door. You need to know. You just don't know what's going to happen. And so that flexibility and being able to think quickly on your feet, that was learned through housing. That wasn't necessarily learned through sitting in a vocal pedagogy class. So I'm glad that I had that aspect to be able to now apply it into what I had to deal with during the spring so that I was able to do both. And I think it went well for both sides of my world. That's great. Well, kind of to wrap up this question, I've, I've created like four questions from one. Um, <laughs> but, but I'm curious, what has been one of the most rewarding aspects of taking on the challenge of motherhood and working at the same time? Oh, my son is so proud to know that his mom works at the school he's going to. And I think that's just, he's so, he's like, I get to go to mommy's school this year and mommy's a music teacher. And he just, he's oh so proud. <laughs> And he thinks that I can do everything. And my daughter thinks that I'm the best singer on the planet. And I just love that they know that I have something that's mine and that I love. I'm their mom, but they also know that I like to do and can do other things. So that's been the most rewarding is that my kids recognize my worth as a mom and my worth as a person. I love that, Reva. You know, we're almost out of time here, but I do want to ask one final question. So Reva, if you could give our listeners one piece of advice about broadening their career horizons, and keeping in mind that we have a various students, but what one piece of advice would you give them about broadening their career horizons? I would say don't be afraid to apply for the job. There was nothing that said that I was qualified to be a head resident advisor when I applied for it. Absolutely nothing. I held, I mean, except for my GPA, I think 
that was the only thing that made sense. So just go for it. The word, nothing, you're not going to get punished for applying for the job, right? So apply for the jobs that you think you might want to do and then see what happens, but don't back yourself into a box because you think that you can't do it. Reva, we are so glad that you were able to join us today. Your drive and your passion and your humor, it's its just been a delight. And I've learned so much from, from your experiences. So I'm really, really grateful that you were able to join us here on the show today. Thank you. It's been awesome. Thanks for joining us here at the Career Studio today. Please remember to join us next week as we continue to discuss this month's theme of broadening your career horizons. 